We live in quite a day in America, a day of so many injustices. It seems just as when we feel like we've heard just about the worst, something else just triggers our utter amazement. Those who are innocently going along, life's taken from them. Since we met uh, on the last Lord's Day, the most uh, um, tragic of mass uh, shootings that's ever taken place in American history last Sunday night, people just uh, having a good time, their life taken from them. Turn, me up, uh, turn up the lights just a little, please. A day of so many injustices. Well, I've got good news. Despite all the injustice in the world, we serve a God who is the God of real justice. Amen. This verse says, that the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 30, verse 18, and therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. For the Lord is a God of judgment or justice. We all want justice. We desire, hunger for it. Uh, Pray for it. And it is none other than God the Son Himself who is the judge. Most people feel as though that uh, Jesus is the Savior, but not realizing that He also is the judge. John chapter 5, verse 22 says, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Several weeks ago, the Lord just led me to take the four great judgments in Scripture. When I was a young person, I used to kind of think, uh, you know, we're all just going to stand before God and, you know, you either go to heaven or hell. But over the years, I realized that actually uh, there are uh, many judgments. And so it seemed as though it would be wise to look at those. Now, there are many judgments that have past, the judgment on Adam and Eve, the judgment in Noah's day on the Tower of Babel. And we've been talking about on Sunday nights in the book of Exodus how God judged Egypt and Pharaoh and all of their gods. There are judgments that are actually occurring right now. There is, for a believer, self-judgment. God tells us to look at ourselves and judge ourselves with the Word of God. And then there is the judgment of divine discipline. The Lord brings, uh, it's in a sense, a judgment on our sin. There are future judgments to come. There is the judgments that occur during the tribulation period, the bold judgments, the, all the different judgments. There is the judging of the angels. But there are four major uh, judgments that the Scripture speaks about, and that's what we have been talking about for a few days. And today, the last of those, the final judgment, known as the judgment seat of Christ. We all have a divine appointment with our Creator. You'd say, well, Pastor, in this day of uh, love and, uh, you know, a political correctness, don't you think it's a little ominous to have a whole series on judgment? Well, I love what I read about judgment of God, and I think it really became the theme for me. If a man will not understand the meaning of judgment, 
he will never come to understand the meaning of grace. And so I would say that, yes, it is a pretty heavy uh, subject, and yet at the same time, it to me is a great way to just rejoice in how good the Lord's been that he took my judgment for me. Well, you know, the Christian life uh, and God is serious, but you know, you can't help but laugh at some of the things that go on. I read a little story this week and speaking about judgment, you know, when the IRS calls, it sounds like judgment day, but the phone rings in the synagogue office. Hello, is this Rabbi Schwartz? The caller asked. It is. This is the Internal Revenue Service. We wonder if you can help us. Well, I'll try. Do you know Herman Cohen? I do. Is this man a member of your congregation? He is. The IRS wants to know, did he donate $10,000? Answer, he will. (laughs) All right. There you go. That's Judgment Day right there. All right. Let's all bow for a word of prayer, if you would, please. Father, we do thank you that you come calling for sure. We all have an appointment with a creator. God, give us your wisdom today and help us to, uh, in this very serious subject at the same time, find your grace and mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. There are four mountain peaks of judgment. If I could have my four uh, helpers up here one more time, if you're here, and uh, that would be great. Uh, I see three of them moving. All right. Uh, Yes. And uh, thank you. All right. Come on up here. Assume your positions. All right. So these gentlemen are helping me with uh, their symbolisms and their milestones in human history. And so uh, if we would go all the way back here. uh, Okay, thank you. And uh, if we go all the way back here, we have creation. And from creation to the cross, okay? Now the first judgment takes place at the cross, and uh, that is the judgment of every believer. The day that you get saved is the day that every sin is judged, and it was actually judged back at the cross. And, you know, God had to occur at all of it in a point of time, but in reality, it occurred from the foundation of the world. And so, this is the judgment at the cross. And then, uh, the next event that's going to happen is the rapture. We're going to go up. The Savior's going to come, meet us, take us to heaven. There's going to be a seven-year gap called the tribulation and then the second coming. Now, right uh, right before the, um, uh, right before, excuse me, the, uh, right, not not you, right after, right before the second coming, okay? All right, right before the second coming, there is the judgment seat of Christ, and that is actually uh, in the Greek, it's called bima. It means a reward seat. And so right before Jesus comes again with his bride, uh, there's going to be in heaven this wonderful time where rewards are given. There's crowns. You say, why do I need a crown? Those are the things we can lay at the feet of Jesus. And so it's a beautiful time. Then right after he comes, there is going to be the judgment of the nations. And so Judgment number one is at the cross. Judgment number two is the, jud- is the judgment seat of Christ. Judgment number three is the judgment of the nations. And really, it means all the people and how they treated the, the nation, all the people of every nation, and how they treated 
Israel during the tribulation period. And that will be an evidence of their salvation. It doesn't make them saved. It just is an absolute clear uh, indication of they're saved or not. And so this is the third judgment. Those that uh, uh, go through that judgment and are uh, the sheep, they will enter into the millennial period for a thousand years. Now, the final judgment, the great white throne judgment occurs at the end of the millennium, right before the new heaven and the new earth. The earth is going to be passed away, and then we're going to enter in, and right before that is what we are going to talk about today, the great white throne. Thank you, gentlemen. All right, you don't have to do that again for a long time. All right, thank you. Now, the Apostle John must have, had, must have been shaken to his core when he was sitting on this uh, island called Patmos, and the Holy Spirit gives him this vision. And uh, the whole book of Revelation was given to John, and God told him to write it down. I'm sure a good majority of it, he didn't understand a bit, but he knew that this was serious business. And so uh, let's go to Revelation chapter 20, and we're going to pick up a little portion of this great vision given to the Apostle Paul so that we could have it. Now, there are four facts about the great white throne judgment and why it's even called that. First of all, we see the throne to be viewed. The throne to be viewed, and it is a righteous throne. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11, it says, And I saw, this is the Apostle John, given this vision, and I saw a great white throne. Now let's just break down that little statement. It is called great. Why is it great? Because it is the final judgment. There is no other judgments after this. It is great because it is of utmost importance. It is great because it includes every unbeliever, every since Cain, the, who was a, an unbeliever, ever since Cain and the garden there, uh, he uh, and every other believer will come before God at a great white throne. It is called great because at this throne, Eternal destiny is declared, and it is, there's no turning back. It is called a great white throne. Why is it called white? For its undimmed display of perfect righteousness and the judgment of God and the justice of God towards mankind. Throughout all of history, God has revealed himself. He revealed himself in every little flower you look at. You can't look at those flowers and just say, God is so amazing. God reveals himself in the skies and the ocean and the bugs and the animals and creation reveals God. That is certainly general revelation of God. Then there is specific revelation and these would be the words of God, the scripture itself. And so God has revealed himself and now he reveals himself as a judgment he reveals himself as a judging God. Now we look at this and we say it's a great white throne. It's a throne. It's not speaking about uh, a throne, the king, although God is king. We're not, these are not coming to worship the king. 
Because at this point, there's going to be no debate about guilt or innocent. There's a prosecutor, but no defender. There's an indictment, but no case for the defendant. There's convicting evidence, but not even one chance for rebuttal. There's testimony, but no cross-examination, no jury. There's sentencing, but no appeal. There's punishment, no parole. And there is zero chance of escape. This is a judgment bench. The word throne actually even means that. Now, sometimes people, I've heard people say, you know, maybe some country song or something will say, you know, I'm looking forward to meeting God at that great white throne in the sky. But I will tell you, I would not be looking forward, if I were anybody, to the great white throne judgment. And we can look forward to a vacation time, maybe, or look forward to kind of just sitting and vegging out and hanging out, or maybe a fishing trip. But I will tell you, nobody ought to look forward to the great white throne judgment, because it is a time of great judgment. It is a throne to be viewed. It is righteous. Number two, there is a judge to be honored. Look at this verse 11. It says, in him that sat upon it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Now, who is this judge? Well, first of all, before I tell you who it is, let me tell you who it's not going to be. Who is the judge that's going to judge me, whether I go, whether what uh, happens at this point? Well, it's certainly not going to be myself. Nobody uh, gets to heaven or doesn't get to heaven on the basis of their own opinion. Just about everybody I know has a pretty decent opinion about themselves. They may feel like they got their issues, but overall, you know, I got a good heart or, you know, I don't kill people or I don't do this or that. We seem to have a pretty good opinion of ourselves. And many people have their own theology they've worked up, so maybe somebody they've heard or some book they've read or some little program they've seen or whatever, but all of that means nothing. And so I will say this, that really uh, notice who is the judge. Well, first of all, it's not myself. Second of all, it's not going to be my friends. My friends aren't going to be there and standing up for me saying, God, I just wanted you to know that, boy, this person was really a great person. No, it's not going to be my friends. It's not going to be my family. You know, moms and dad are such wonderful people. They have a way of overlooking our problems, especially mom. You know, she just, uh, her, uh, her hope just burns so eternal. You know, I have great hopes for this child. But you know, my mom and dad, my mommy's not going to be the, my judge in heaven. No, the Bible says it's going to be none other than Jesus Christ. Verse 11, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. Now, who would this person be that even the heavens would flee away from him? Well, we are told that it is none other than Jesus Christ. Every unsaved person, every unbeliever of every age, that person may have never stepped foot in a church. They may have never stopped to really take in a sermon. They have never maybe uh, walked down an aisle and given their heart to Jesus Christ. But eventually, someday, maybe some funeral director is going to roll their body down an aisle of some church. Somebody is going to preach their funeral. Or perhaps they will be cremated and their 
ashes scattered somewhere. But the fact is, long before the mortuary learns that they are dead, the soul of that person is going to be in hell awaiting going to the judgment of God. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. That is a, that is a very serious moment. It is a judge to be honored. It's not going to be myself. It's not going to be my parents. It's not going to be my friends. It's going to be Jesus Christ, and he is demanding honor. We'll be giving him that honor for sure. And that, if, if we're not uh, saved in this life, our body will go to uh, the grave, but our soul goes to hell. And then at the great white throne judgment, in the resurrection of the unjust, as Jesus called it, they'll be brought together, reunited, body and soul. And then at that point, they will meet God. And I will tell you, it is Judge Jesus. It's not Judge Judy. It's Judge Jesus. And Judge Judy had a Solomon moment a few weeks ago, I understand. Uh, she was able to resolve a dog ownership case. You may have read about it. Uh, they were trying to figure out to who owned the dog, and these two people were fighting like they do on the show. And so she said, stop. She took the dog and said, we'll just find out who the dog goes to. It puts the dog on the ground, and the dog ran over to the one person, and she said, that's the person right there. And so, now I tell you what, that's pretty smart. But I tell you what, Judge Judy doesn't hold a candle to Judge Jesus. And Judge Jesus is the one who's going to be judging every man. And at that point, the Bible says, we're going to give him honor. There's a throne to be viewed, and there is a judge to be honored. He is Jesus. Now there are persons to be judged. In verse 12, chapter 20, verse 12, and those are sinners. Verse 12 says, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. A summons goes out. The dead are called forth. Now, this happens at the end of the millennium. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 5, if you scroll back just a few verses, you'll see it says that the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. As I mentioned earlier, at the conclusion of the millennium, after Satan has been thrown into the lake of fire, after the false prophet has been thrown into the false prophet, after the beast has been thrown into the false prophet, and then at that moment, they're going to be summoned, summoned forth to stand to give testimony of their life. You may know the name Sarah Winchester. Her husband acquired a fortune by manufacturing and selling rifles. But he died of influence after he did. She moved to San Jose. She was convinced that the souls of Indians that lost their lives because of those Winchester rifles were haunting her. And so she went to a medium to contact her husband. The medium uh, spoke to her for her husband and he said, as long as you keep building your home, you will never face death. And so this spiritist came and told her that she should uh, buy a house and should keep building. And so she did. She bought a 17-room mansion in, over the San Jose area and began to build. By the time she was done, 
There was 150 rooms, 13 bathrooms, 2,000 doors, 47 fireplaces, and 10,000 witnesses. It's known as the Winchester Mystery House. Perhaps you've been there. But the fact is, it is uh, when you drive by it or you go there, you may say, what a strange, what a weird thing. But I will tell you this, actually, that house stands more than a tourist attraction. It is a silent witness that everybody will be summoned before God. And you know what? Sarah Winchester did not prevent death by keeping making that house. She died too. And all of us are. We summon before God. Every unbeliever will be resurrected and gathered before the throne. And then we'll watch as the earth disappears. The earth is going to be gone. All the hopes, all the dreams, everything that everybody ever hoped for, gone in a moment. I think that's inherent in those, that verse 11, back in verse 11, where it says there was no place found for them. The earth is gone. Now, folks, I will tell you, uh, that's why there's actually no reason to try to save the earth. I know everybody's trying to save the earth. I will tell you this. If you think humans are messing earth up, you just wait to see what God does with it. God's going to seriously mess it up. It's going to be gone. The Bible says it's going to dissolve and melt and blow up. And there's all kinds of very dramatic words in scripture, folks. This earth is going to be gone. Why? Because it has been the place of Satan's activity. It has been the, the place of so much sin and so much sorrow and so much heartache. It's going to be gone. Hallelujah. A new heaven and a new earth. That's what God says is going to happen. Now, who comes forth? The Bible says the small, the great, billions and billions of sinful people, people who were unknown, people who were well-known, people who were educated, people who were uneducated. It makes no difference. People who were rich and famous, people that really had nothing. It says they come out of the earth and they come out of the sea, meaning, I would imagine, that uh, they, uh, their bodies may have been lost at sea. You know, we imagine that when, you know, we feel bad because a person's body is, we can't find it, but the Bible knows where every little molecule of our body is. The Bible tells us that it may be in the grave, or it may be in the sea, or it may be in ashes and wherever, but the fact is, the Bible says it all comes together, and standing before God, a summons of every sinner. You'd say, well, what kind of people are at the great white throne judgment? There's three types. There's the immoral. These are those that just hate God. They hate Jesus. I mean, they hate the Bible. They hate preachers. They hate churches. They despise what we're doing here today. I mean, it just, they, in fact, they just think it's hateful to stand up here and just talk about God and talk about heaven and hell. I mean, these folks have just given themselves to every kind of a perversion. They are just immoral. But there's a second type that might surprise you, and that is the self-moral. The immoral are at the great white throne judgment. So are the self-moral. These are good people. They do actually go to church from time to time. They actually give some money, perhaps. They have manners. But they think the gospel is for murderers, certainly not for them. They don't think they need to be saved. But I remind you, the Bible says, Jesus himself said, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, 
you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. No, our righteousness needs to be perfect, in fact. And the only way we can be made perfect is by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, it has been said that the worst form of human badness is human goodness because it becomes a substitute for the second birth. And I will tell you this, too many people in America especially are just strutting their way right to hell. Boy, just better than somebody else because of the color of their skin or because how much money they have in the bank or how much education or how good looking they might be or what a great athlete they are. I will tell you this, it makes no difference before God. The Bible says that it is good people. Good people go to hell just like bad people if we're not saved good people. Someone said, well, I keep the Ten Commandments. Well, most of them. You see, the Ten Commandments are like links of a chain. And if you keep all nine, but you're holding on by that chain, if even one link breaks, we're all gone. You see, the Bible says if the righteousness that comes by the law, then Jesus is dead in vain. No, we, what would have been the reason that we, of, of Jesus dying if we could go to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments. No, the Bible is very clear. There is immoral. There are self-moral. And then there are amoral. The amoral. You'd say, well, who are these? These are the procrastinators. These are the folks that aren't immoral, but they're not self-moral. They actually know they need to be saved. They actually feel the tug of God on their heart. And every time the preacher stands and says, you ought to come to Jesus and you ought to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And perhaps they hear a gospel song or they, they get touched and they say to themselves, you know, I really should go. I really should give my heart to Jesus. But you know, they just don't do it. The devil comes and whispers in their ear, okay, fine, but do it tomorrow. Do it on the next day. You know, it's a tragic thing for most people. Most people have the idea they're going to live till they're 90 and then they're going to have a little cough and they're going to go to the doctor and they're going to say, doc, I'm having a little cough. The doctor's going to examine them and say, you know what? You have cancer and you have a month to live. And, uh, you're going to go and you're going to gather all your grandchildren and all your children. You're going to give them all a hug. You're going to give them presents and, uh, you're going to gather all your friends. You're going to have this uh, time like that. You're going to have dinners. You're going to maybe go on a little cruise. You're going to come back home, put on your pajamas, crawl in bed, and you're going to die. That's what most people have this concept of how they're going to die. I will tell you folks, most people die with their street clothes on, not in their pajamas. The fact is we have no idea when we're going to die. And all of us need to make sure we are remembering that moment. A throne to be viewed, a righteous throne, a judge to be honored, none other than Jesus. And persons to be judged, sinners. Now there is a cause to be tried. You'd say, well, what do you mean? I thought these were only unsaved people. It's true. But that doesn't mean that's the end of the matter. The Bible actually says that the unsaved are judged on their works. Strange as that may sound. Look at verse 12. And I saw the dead, great, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. God is keeping a record. 
God is keeping books. People say, well, you know, I don't, I, I just don't think it makes any difference. I mean, if I'm going to hell, I'm going to hell. Well, it does make a big difference. But you know what? Hell is hell. I will agree with that. But notice there are two sets of books. First of all, plural, the books. And then singular, another book. So there is a set of books called the books. And then there is one book. Now, what are these books? You'd say, well, Pastor, what are these books that the unsaved are going to be judged out of? Here's what I believe. I think the first book is probably Scripture. The first one of the books, as it says here, the books, the plural books, I believe is Scripture itself, the written Word of God, the revelation of God's holy character and the declaration of man's sinfulness, the plan of salvation. And I believe very pertinent at this point would be John 12, 48. Listen to these words. He that rejecteth me receiveth not my words, and he hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Jesus said, I will tell you this, every person that rejects scripture in the last day, they will have to pay for that. Oh, I don't believe that stuff in the Bible. Well, I will tell you, you will see your sins. Today, I honestly, I, I have a hard time really uh, feeling sympathetic for most uh, of these demonstrators. They stand up and demand justice. You know, we want justice. And there's, I'm sure there's all kinds of stuff that has gone on that haven't been good. But I will tell you this. The fact is, every person who demands justice, if they don't get saved, they'll get it someday. They will get real justice. They will get justice and it will not be what they want. Now, there's a second uh, book in this set of books. The first one, I believe, is Scripture itself. The second one is a book of works. Because it says, according to their deeds. Notice what it says, according to their deeds or works. I believe undoubtedly that the, not only is Scripture going to give a record of the fact that they rejected the plan of salvation, they rejected the theology of God, they rejected the authority of Scripture, but that they, by their deeds, every deed, that's where I believe Jesus, when he talked about in a parable about uh, some being beaten with uh, more stripes and some with less stripes, I believe the concept is that hell is certainly hell, but there is a great difference between somebody who has murdered like a Hitler millions of people and others who perhaps uh, didn't uh, receive Christ. And I believe it all demonstrates the truth of Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short or miss the mark, as that word is, of the glory of God. The fact is, the Bible says that at, the, at this judgment, the final judgment, the scripture is going to be opened and a book of deeds. But there is a third book, and this one is just a singular book. It's called the book of life. What is the book of life? The book of life is the book that contains the name of every true believer. And so, really, it does appear to be a very dramatic scene. The people will be standing there one by one before the judge in this great white throne. If you've ever been in a courtroom, it can be kind of intimidating. I mean, I remember wanting to go and appeal a traffic ticket, and I 
thought, boy, I had a real case to make. And I tell you what, by the time I got up there and the judge allowed me to speak, I couldn't even hardly talk. <laughs> he was saying, hey, what's he? I, I talk for a living. And I'm like, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> I'll pay it. I just don't want to talk right now. And uh, I'm telling you what, that's just in a traffic court, let alone a great white throne with the eye, uh, one whose eyes are like fire, one who stands there said, I gave you every opportunity. I sent preachers by your home. I, sent, I gave you gospel tracts. Your mama prayed for you. And here you are all this time. You lived a wicked life. You broke your mama's heart. You turned away from God. I'm going to tell you one thing. It's not going to be a pretty sight. The Bible says he's going to open up scripture He's going to say, you rejected the plan of salvation. He's going to open a book of deeds and every evil deed they've ever committed. And then he's going to open up the big book of life and say, let's see if your name is here. Tim, Tim. And he'll go down. Your name is not found in the book of life. And the Bible says at that moment, that moment, they will, of all the books that we want to put our name in, I know parents, boy, they would give anything if their kid would go to an Ivy League school. <laughs> man, if they could just get to an Ivy League school. Other folks would, man, if I could just be part of this exclusive club, I just, it would be my greatest day. Others, you know, I mean, they just want to make sure that they get their name on some church roll or whatever the case. Some people want to just be a citizen of America. Some people are leaving America. I say, I want to be a citizen of New Zealand or whatever. I will tell all of us this. There is no place I want my name any more than I want it in the book of life. I want my name in the book of life. It's not the Methodist church or the Baptist church or the vegetarian church or whatever the church it is. It makes no difference, folks. I'm telling you. It is if my name is there. Do I have the, the right components to my life? Do I have the right parts to make it acceptable before God? Several years ago, uh, in one of my trips, uh, when we were constructing this building, I took my old pickup that I had, and I went down to South Stockton down there, and down in South Stockton there was this place where uh, they were, had this big, giant electric magnet, and it was picking up cars, and it was grabbing them and steel, and it was moving them over and dropping them in a boxcar, and it was amazing. I, mean, I just couldn't believe that that big old giant crane with a magnet on it was picking things up. It was amazing. Fascinating. But every time they picked up a car, certain things wouldn't, wouldn't go on the magnet. Pieces of wood maybe that were there, rubber, um, other things, they would just fall to the ground. Why was that? Because they didn't have the right components to be taken out. You know where I'm going, don't you? Someday Jesus, the big magnet's going to come. And he's going to say, everyone who has Jesus in his heart, he's going to turn on that magnet. Whoop, they're going to go up. And everybody who's made out of wood and rubber and glass, they're going to stay right on this old earth. And someday the Bible says they're going to stand before God at the great white throne judgment. Tell you what, you don't want that. I read a story several years ago about some men who were out on a prairie. I think I 
was interested in the story because my dad told me about being raised in Flat Willow, Montana. I've been there. Well, I've been where it was. And uh, he had gotten big trouble one time because he was playing with matches and caught a prairie on fire. And they had to call all the neighbors and they finally got it out. And dad said that after the fire got out, the, then his dad let him up. But anyway, um, <laughs> so I was interested in this story about a prairie and a fire. But men were out, in the, two men were out in this prairie and winds were just howling and the fire was just roaring towards them and they were just, what in the world are we going to do? One guy was just so afraid. We're going to die. We're going to burn to death. The other guy said, watch. He said, just, just have faith. Watch. He pulled out of his pocket some matches and he lit the the uh, stubble on fire. And this guy said, what are you doing? You're a fool. The fire is already coming and you're lighting another fire? He said, watch. And so the fire he lit started going back towards the other fire. And he said, now come over here and stand on the burnt part. And he stood on the burnt part with him. He said, here is what's happening. The fire can't come where it's already been. The fire can't come where it's already been. And here's what I tell you this morning. There was a day some 2,000 years ago where all of my sins were judged. And the fire can't come. The fire of God's judgment can't come where it's already been. They've already been judged. My, all, the, the wrath of God has already been on my sin. It, I am set free. In fact, if you want to say it, I've settled out of court. And I don't have to stand at the great white throne judgment. I'm thankful for that. Jesus endured the fires of God's wrath so that you don't have to. Four judgments. There's a judgment at the cross. There is the judgment seat for our great rewards. Then there is the judgment of the nations and the great white throne judgment. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.